Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA Writer for the Washington Post. Coming from Milwaukee, where tonight, Friday, uh, Friday night, I'm going to be watching Bucks Cavs in the Bucks final season opener at the Bradley Center before they move into their new uh, state-of-the-art arena across the street. Should be a really interesting game. Giannis Antetokounmpo against LeBron James is always fun. Wrote a column uh, for today for the Post about Giannis and about his you know rapid ascension to the top of the NBA. Uh, hopefully you guys will go check that out. I'll have that included in the uh, the bio for the for the podcast. But just wanted to to get a chance to answer a bunch of questions here as we get through you know the first couple of days of the the regular season. Just about everybody's played again. I think every single team has played a game now. Uh, obviously a couple brutal injuries with Jeremy Lin going out for the season and uh, Gordon Hayward obviously with the the brutal uh, fractured uh, tibia and dislocated ankle that I was in Cleveland to see on uh, Tuesday night. So. Um, that, Lonzo Ball's debut, a lot of stuff has happened. So I uh, just wanted to uh, get a chance to answer some questions and uh, see what everybody wanted to know about the opening couple days. So let's uh, let's jump into that quick here. Uh, we'll start with the Celtics. Gordon Hayward, obviously um, one of the biggest stories, you know, really the season now that he's gone for the year and how it's you know rapidly changed what's going on in Boston. Um, got a couple questions about that. First, what seed will the Celtics be now that Hayward is out? And what does it mean for Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum? I think the Celtics are going to be worse than a lot of people think. I thought that already initially. I thought it was going to take them a long time to get all these different pieces to come together and work at the same same pace and on the, and on the same wavelength. That's always hard to do, harder than people, I think, expect. Um, but without Gordon Hayward, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have played well here early on, but they're 19, 20 years old. They're going to struggle. Um, this is a team that when you look at it, they've got Kyrie Irving and Al Horford, and then they've got a lot of question marks. You know, t- tonight they're they're playing Philadelphia. Philadelphia's home opener. Don't think Marcus Smart is also going to play. That that's another depth piece for them to to be missing. You know, it could it could really be a struggle for Boston this season. I think they're probably in the six to eight range in the East now. Um, you know, maybe they can creep up a little bit higher. But look, Kyrie Irving has never been a guy that's been a a high game guy every season. He he's missed a bunch of time. Um, Al Horford at times has missed games. I mean, they need. Um, they need those guys to be healthy and available all the time, or or they're going to be in real trouble. You know, when you have three stars and you you kind of tear your team apart to have to have those three stars with those two guys and Gordon Hayward, you, you're going to have some some depth issues. That's just the way it works. Kyrie's never played more than 75 games in a season. He's played you know three out of the last four years. He's played over 70, which is a plus. You know, but even if he misses 10 or 12 games this year. Um, you know, he's missed 10 and 11 two of the last, you know, three of the last, two of the last four years. He missed 29 two years ago after he hurt his uh, his knee in the finals. So, I mean, he's a guy that, and it, look, if he's playing 39 minutes a game like he is right now, that's not going to work either. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens to them. I think, you know, in the long run, this could really work out well for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to have two young guys really have to take big leadership roles with a team. Uh, I think could really long-term in a long-term way, benefit them, especially if Gordon Hayward can come back, you know, 100%. Obviously, you never want to have Hayward get hurt and just have him around and let those guys, you know, slowly grow. But, you know, they're going to have to have huge roles here, and it it could long-term help them. But in the short term, you know, I think the Celtics are definitely going to struggle. And along those lines, i got a couple of questions about would you, if you were the Celtics, would you make a big move to try to salvage the season? Um, you know, trade a guy like Jalen Brown and a pick or two for for cousin for Demarcus Cousins or do something like that. I would not. Um, I think if you look at where Boston is, they position themselves with the moves they made to be a good team now and a good team for a long time. So that doesn't really change. Like I said, you've got Jalen Brown, you've got Jason Tatum. Uh, you can play those guys a lot of minutes. You can let them grow. You still have 
what very likely will be a top five pick from the Lakers this year uh, to help part of that rebuild along. That will help. Um, you know, so I, I don't, I would not rush into something. Uh, if Anthony Davis came available as the one guy they've, they've kind of been hinted at going after before. I, I, yeah, I think if you can get Anthony Davis, you, you, you go for that, but I don't think Davis is going to get traded during the season anyway. And that's a move. That's also a long-term move. That's not a, that's not a short-term move to salvage the season anyway. So, um, my guess is that Boston stands pat and they, they try to make the best of the season, let these young guys develop and, and see what they can do. The other thing that happened this week that's kind of gone under the radar because of everything that's gone on is is the Chicago Bulls incident between Bobby Portis and Nikola Mirotic. Or Portis popped Mirotic in the face in practice. Mirotic got knocked out, broke his broke a bunch of bones in his face. Is out for a couple months. Uh, question I got about that: Does the does the Portis Mirotic situation likely make Laurie Markkinen the starting power forward for the full season in Chicago? Markkinen was the number seven pick in the draft. The Bulls like him a lot. He had a nice debut, uh, and what's you know the Bulls lost. They're going to lose a ton of games this year. I, and one of my bold predictions is going to lose seventy. I certainly think the incidents of this week haven't uh, haven't hurt those chances of happening. Um, I don't think Markkinen will start the whole season. My guess is when Miritich comes back, he will eventually start, if for no other reason that I think the Bulls would love to uh, to move on from Miritich in a trade. And it, I don't think they want to play him ten minutes a game uh, to do that. So my guess is if they could. They could turn around and, and move Miritich in a deal and, and get a pick back. Um, my guess is they would do that. So um, I, I think that you know most likely outcome here is that Miritich comes back. He eventually gets to be the starter. Markkinen will start until he's ready to go. Um, and, but look, Markkinen may just stay in the job. It wouldn't stun me. Um, the Bulls like him. They have no, no have nothing to play for this season. Uh, and, and again, like the situation in Boston, though Boston's actually trying to be good, uh, you know, the, the whole thing for the Bulls this year should be to let Markkinen get as many reps as possible and, and to get as good as possible. So um, I would I would say that Miritich will start it's when he gets back and he's ready to go, uh, even if he does kind of ease in in a bench roll at first. But um, but look, if, if Markkinen plays well and the Bulls want to just ride with him, that, you know, I could see that playing out that way too. Does D'Angelo Russell have all-star potential in a weak Eastern Conference? No, I don't think so. Uh, losing Jeremy Lin is a, is a killer blow for the Nets. I thought they had a chance to be pretty good somewhere in the low, th- or at least pretty good by what the standards are going to be, somewhere in the low 30s in wins. Uh, if that had happened, um, you know, they would have been on a decent pace early in the year. Maybe Russell uh, would have a chance to be, you know, get some all-star consideration this year. But the Nets just aren't going to win enough games. And, and even though uh, the East has some weak pieces or some, some uh, has a weak all-star crop compared to the West, I mean, you still got John Wall and Bradley Beal with the Wizards. You still got Kyrie and Al Horford with the Celtics. You still got uh, LeBron James and Kevin Love with the Cavaliers. You still got Kyle Lowry and Demar Derozan with the with the Raptors. That's already eight guys. That's before you talk about Giannis. That's before you talk about Chris Porzingis. That's before you talk about Joel Embiid. Uh, you're already up to eleven. You haven't got to guys like Goran Dragic yet. Uh, you haven't got to guys like Andre Drummond yet, who had a nice game in his opener. Could could bounce back this season. Uh, Kemba Walker. Um, you know, we're the, so we're, we're already 12 guys in now and that, you know, you still haven't brought up guys like Miles Turner. So, uh, no, I don't think Russell's on that level this year. I think, you know, he, he obviously had a big game in game one at 30 points and a high scoring affair with the Pacers and a loss for the Nets. I, I think the Nets just need to see, you know, if the Nets can have D'Angelo Russell take strides towards being a long-term piece for a franchise this year, I think they'll gladly take that and, and not worry about whether he makes an all-star team or not. What do you? What does LaMarcus Aldridge have to do to be worth his new extension? Could he be uniquely suited to fit well with the Spurs? Would he fit with anyone else? I mean, look, LaMarcus has fit a lot of places. He's a really good player. Uh, the weird thing about that extension was that for 
over a year now, you've heard that LaMarcus hates everyone in San Antonio. And, well, not everyone. LaMarcus hates the situation in San Antonio and has a lot of issues there. And the Spurs had a lot of issues with him. And, you know, as people have, as many people have reported over the last week, I mean, there was a lot of talk about him getting traded this summer. There was talk about him getting traded before last season and during last season before they got off to a great start and went up winning the 60 games. I mean, there's just been a lot of issues there from the beginning. I think LaMarcus got there thinking he was going to be the number one option. And then Kawhi Leonard blew up and became a guy who was a 27-point game scorer. And that changed. And I think the adjustment has been tough. But, you know, the Spurs seem committed to trying to make LaMarcus comfortable and to uh, make him, you know, fit better within the offense. Uh, that Brett Popovich said, I'm sorry, I tried to change his game. I shouldn't have done that this week, which I thought was interesting. Um, so it seems like everybody's just decided to to put a new face on things and move forward. And, you know, LaMarcus played great in the preseason. He had a great opener and a win over the over the Timberwolves. So, you know, maybe things have just changed in San Antonio and they feel better about things. It's, it's going to be an interesting situation to watch. But, you know, certainly after this extension, LaMarcus is locked in for the season. So he's not getting traded now. And, you know, the Spurs have signed up for him to be their, their number two guy uh, next to Kawhi for a while here. So we'll see how that develops. No way all teams in the Northwest Division make the playoffs. Which is the odd team out and why? Uh, I actually predicted all five Northwest teams would make the playoffs. That is the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Utah Jazz, the Denver Nuggets, and the Portland Trailblazers. I picked all five of those teams to make the playoffs. I think they all will make the playoffs. Uh, you know, if one of them is going to miss, I would say it's Utah, even though they did beat Denver on opening night. Uh, I just don't know if the Jazz will be able to score enough consistently this season. Um, but they're going to be really well coached. They're going to play great defense, and they're going to grind out a lot of wins. They'll win a lot of games at home. It's really tough to play in Utah at altitude, uh, just like in Denver. Those two teams have big home court advantages. I think Utah will take advantage of that. They're deep. Um, they can rotate a lot of guys in and out. Uh, I could see them being like, uh, you know, being like the, the Celtics were a couple of years ago, being like the Hornets were a couple of years ago, where they just kind of grind teams down with depth and win. 43 to 45 games. But if one of those teams drops off, I do think it's Utah and a team like the Clippers or, or maybe Memphis uh, can get by them and, and make the playoffs instead. But uh, but I, I think they'll all make it. And, and uh, you know, it, it should be a really fun year in that division. Those are five fun, team to watch, fun teams to watch and should be uh, should be very, very interesting to see that, how they all develop. Why are all the best under-23 players non-Americans? Chris Hasporzingis, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Nikola Jokic, Carl Towns, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Andrew Wiggins. Is this a trend or a coincidence? I mean, I think a lot of this is a coincidence. I mean, if you look right now, you know, if we if we go to the top 100, okay, from my top 100 for this season, you know, in the top 10, or the, the 10 youngest guys, said Dennis Smith, who's American, Devin Booker is American, Jamal Murray's Canadian, Carl Towns is, I mean, technically he's going to play for the Dominican Republic as an international player, but he is, an, I mean, he's from New Jersey. He's born and raised there. I mean, he he's all but American. Uh, Miles Turner is American. Ben Simmons is from Australia. Giannis is obviously from Greece. Uh, Nikola Jokic from Serbia. Chris Porzingis from Latvia. Andrew Wiggins from Canada. So, you know, I mean, three of the top 10 are American players in terms of youngest guys in the top 100. Uh, four of them would be if Carl Towns uh, had not, um, you know, changed nationalities in high school to play for John Calipari and the Dominican Republic team uh, and then play for Calit at, uh, um, at Kentucky. So, you know, I think at that point, then you, you know, I think you, know, you look in the next group of 10 guys, you've got uh, Otto Porter, Andre Drummond, Bradley Beal, Anthony Davis, Gary Harris. I mean, there's there's a bunch of American guys there. I mean, I, I, I don't really think that, 
I don't really think that this is a sign that American basketball is falling off of a cliff. I mean, you look at the you look at the top of the draft this year, well, a really well regarded top of the draft, and you had you know Lonzo Ball, you had Markel Fultz, you had um, you had De'Aaron Fox, you had Josh Jackson, uh, you had Dennis Smith, who I already mentioned. I mean, you are you had Jonathan Isaac. I mean, all those guys are pretty well regarded. They're all within the top ten. So. Uh, you know, it just so happened that that draft, the last couple of drafts have had some Canadians in them. They've had a couple American guys in them. Uh, but I mean, you know, I think that if you just look at uh, the overall trend, I don't, I don't think that the uh, the death of American basketball is is on the on the verge of happening by any stretch. Have you heard anything about the potential severity of Chris Paul's injury? Also, how much better is Houston even while he's out with the offseason wing additions? I saw Jonathan Fagan, uh, the, the terrific Rockets beat writer for the Houston Chronicle, tweet uh, earlier that Mike D'Antoni said it's just a bruise. Um, Chris was obviously limping around at the end of the game, uh, end of his time in the game on Tuesday. He didn't play against the Kings on Wednesday. My guess is he probably sits out for a bit. It's not like they need him right away because they do have James Harden there. Uh, and look, I think you saw at the end of that Warriors game, the Rockets have a chance to be really good regardless because adding B.J. Tucker, where you can play him as a late-game defensive uh, small ball center, you add Luka Mute, who can come in and guard and lock anybody down uh, for stretches. Um, they've obviously got Chris Paul there. They've got James Harden. They've got Trevor Ariza. They can, you know, with Eric Gordon there, they can, they've can. they got Clint Capella, who I think is really coming on. They've got a lot of different lineups they can play, um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of unique looks they can throw at teams, a lot of offense-defense looks they can throw at teams. So uh, there's a lot to be excited about there, I think. And um, I think Houston's going to be awfully good. They might be the second best team in the NBA this season. Uh, I don't think in a series they could beat Golden State. Golden State was uh, out of condition. They didn't play great. Uh, and they still you know, barely lost after holding a lead the entire game with Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala out of the game by the end of it. So um, you know, I don't know if Houston can win a playoff series against them, but I think they can get to the conference finals and be awfully good. So... Um, they're going to be awfully fun this year. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how that team gels together. And, you know, obviously Chris, you know, they can still be good if Chris is out for a while, but, uh, if they're going to be as good as they want to be, they need Chris to, at some point be healthy and productive for them. Who do you see in the six to eight range in a depleted Eastern conference? I'm thinking Orlando sneaks into that range. I am not seeing Orlando sneaking in that range, despite them beating the heat the other day. Uh, my eight teams in the playoffs to go into the season were in order, Cleveland, Washington, Boston, Miami, Milwaukee, Toronto, Charlotte, and Detroit. I think those teams are all the same. I think now I would move up, uh, Miami and Milwaukee. I would drop Boston into the Toronto, Charlotte, Detroit range, uh, somewhere in the back half of the East. I think Orlando is going to stink. I know they won the other day. Frank Fogel's a great coach, so maybe he'll figure something out here that will work, but I just think they've got a long way to go. I don't really know if they have a single guy in their team I look at as a surefire core guy. Um, so they've got a lot to figure out there. And I just think there's a lot of uh, a lot of figuring out that has to be done for this new front office to decide what direction the team wants to go in. So, no, I don't see Orlando in that mix. But um, maybe Wednesday's win over the Heat was some kind of a harbinger of things to come and they'll have a better season than expected. But I personally don't see it. If you enjoy this podcast and are interested in learning more about the NBA, you can get my weekly NBA newsletter, the Monday Morning Post-Up, delivered right to your inbox every Monday morning at 8 a.m. To do so, please go to wapo.st slash newsletter to subscribe. You'll get an original column from me, links to my work from the past week, links to work from both my colleagues at the Washington Post and other writers from around the web about the league, 
a viewing guide for the week ahead, and some dining and pop culture recommendations. Again, to subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, please go to wapo.st slash postup newsletter and start your week off right with everything you need to know about the NBA. What's the most under overrated takeaway from the first spate of games, and what is the most underrated takeaway? I think the most overrated takeaway is that the Warriors are somehow vulnerable this season. Uh, I just don't see a scenario in which the Warriors uh, don't win the championship if they stay healthy. I mean, obviously, if Draymond Green or Kevin Durant or Steph Curry or Klay Thompson is out for the season at some point, like last year, Kevin Durant nearly was in Washington when Zaza hit his leg, and if he'd been about an inch higher, his season would have ended. If, if something like that happens and a guy is lost for the season, yes, then game on for everybody else. But uh, Golden State has 12 returning players. The three new players are all significant uh, improvements on the guys they replaced. Uh, this team is as another year together. They're, they have total continuity. They know exactly what they want to do. Uh, I, I think that them losing one game, having people freak out about where they're at, I, I just think is silly. Uh, I, I don't I don't see any reason to think that they're going to have any competition again in the playoffs, uh, assuming they're healthy and ready to go when the postseason starts. The most underrated takeaway is kind of tough because it, we still are trying to figure things out. But um, I think probably the most underrated takeaway is how good Gordon Hayward is. Um, I think a lot of people have just decided that Boston is still going to be really good anyway, um, or at least good enough to be a top four seed in the East. I just don't, like I said earlier, I just don't see that. I think... You know, I thought this team, last year this team was a 48-win team that won 53 games because Isaiah Thomas was incredible uh, in crunch time situations, and and they, they had great coaching for Brad Stevens. They still have great coaching, but, um, and they, they also had good depth last year. And while they still have great coaching, uh, Isaiah has been swapped off for Kyrie Irving. And look, Kyrie's a more talented player than Isaiah, for sure, but Kyrie also has never had a season like Isaiah had last year. And you've seen late in the last, in the first two games, first game he misses, he misses three to tie the game at the buzzer. Second game, he struggles down the stretch, goes seven for 25 against the Bucks, and they lose. So, I mean, look, Kyrie is going to be judged by what Isaiah did last year all season long, on top of the fact that he is going to be dealing with the, the ramifications of what it meant for him to leave Cleveland and the, the burden that comes with. So, um, I, I just I just think that, you know, losing a player like Gordon Hayward, who, you know, like I said before, if you have a 53-win team that's really a 48-win team, even if you want to say they're now a true 53-win team with the additions they made, uh, I think Gordon Hayward's an 8-10 to win player. And if you lose an 8-10 to win player off of a team that is that is a 53-win team, you're a 43-45 to win team. And I think that's more the range that the, the Celtics are in than the one that they're in uh the one that they're in now where you've got a, you know, where, or at least where I think people think they are, where they still can win 48 to 50 games. I, I just don't, to me, I just don't see how that kind of success is going to happen. Um, it, I, I, you know, it's, that's not a knock on anybody. I'd like, obviously you like their young pieces. You like what their future is going to be. Um, but look, the last few years, Gordon Hayward was an 8.7 win uh player via win shares three years ago he was 8.9 two years ago and he was a 10.4 player in terms of win shares last season so a 10 win player off of a team is a huge blow and I just don't think that people are giving him enough credit I already thought he was their best player um, coming into this season so to lose him to lose a two-way wing who on a team that doesn't have a ton of scoring options who was a go-to score on the wing who was going to be able to lock down 
or not, not, maybe not lock down, but certainly defend all the good wing players that, that are in the league when it came down to crunch time. They need somebody to get a stop. I mean, that's a huge thing to lose. So, um, I don't, again, I don't think Boston's going to stink, but I, I do think that a lot of people have underrated how significant the loss of Gordon Hayward is going to be and how good uh, and, and just how good the Celtics can be without him. I, I just don't I don't see him being in the same class that a lot of other people do. Who in this rookie class has the most potential to put up numbers like KD or LeBron did in their first three or four years in the league? It's kind of tough because I don't know if there is a KD or a LeBron in this class. Uh, Marco Fultz, I think, is going to be great, but he's obviously in a bit of a logjam position-wise and handling the ball-wise. He's not just having his own team in Philly. Uh, so And his, his shot is all messed up with whatever's going on with his shoulder, so I'm not sure... What's going to happen there? Um, Lonzo Ball is a guy that is going to put up, I think, decent numbers this year. I obviously had a rough debut against Pat Beverly, but um, he, you know he's a guy that uh, I, I think you know was probably never going to be a huge stats guy. Uh, he's going to be more of a you know how he fits in with the team kind of stuff. Um, but then you kind of run down through the list. Tatum could put up good numbers, uh, but again, he's playing on a team with a bunch of other ball dominant guys uh, in Boston. Uh, Josh Jackson is more of a you know, I think if it works out, he seems like he's more of a maybe Sean Marion type that's kind of, you know, filling in the box score in a lot of spots, but isn't going to be a go-to scorer type. Uh, same with a guy like Jonathan Isaac. Um, you know, De'Aaron Fox could put up big numbers. Uh, he's gotten some John Wall comps. He is a heck of a player. He had a great debut the other night against uh, against Houston. I think he's going to put up big numbers in Sacramento. I think Dennis Smith, probably if there's one guy on this list, it's Dennis Smith. Uh, he, he had, I think, 16 and 10 in his debut. He's going to put up big numbers this year. He's going to be uh, the guy in Dallas from day one, which a lot of these other guys don't have. Um, you know, he's going to be the undisputed number one guy. They're building the team around him. Rick Carlisle, even though he's got a reputation for being very hard on rookie point guards, has basically just said, all right, we're going to let this guy go. Uh, you know, we're going to let him run and we're going to let him be our guy. So um, I think all of that would tend to lead me to believe that you're going to see a lot of Dennis Smith and, and that that would probably be the guy. But look, Kevin Durant and LeBron James could be two of the 10 best players of all time by the end of their career. So uh, you don't have a lot of guys just walk in and do what they did right away. And uh, I think you're going to see this year, there probably isn't a guy in this class that's ever going to get quite to that level. And that's not a knock on any of these guys in this class. It's just that they're not going to be one of the 10 to 20 best players in the history of the game. I, I don't think that's a, that's a pretty high bar to expect anybody to reach. Uh, can you see Nick Young fully committing to catching and shooting along with ball movement, or will he continue to play as he has been? Uh, look, I, I think assuming Nick Young is going to ever completely buy into moving the ball and uh, <laughs> buying in uh, in that sense is always going to be a dicey proposition. Uh, it, it, so I think at that, you know, if you look at it that way, look, Nick Young is going to do Nick Young things. He's going to take, you know, he's going to take an extra dribble and take a more contested shot than he should. He's going to, uh, sometimes he's going to get the ball in the way. He's going to dribble out for a while and jack up a, a contested ISO shot. I mean, I don't think they're going to get all that stuff out of him, but he is a guy who likes to shoot and he's going to get a lot of wide open shots. And I think because of that, he's probably going to shoot over 40% from three this season. You saw him go crazy in the first game. He scored 23 points. I think go four for six from three or maybe six for eight. I can't remember. Uh, made a bunch of threes on good percentages. I think you could see him do that all season because uh, Golden State is going to give him a ton of room. He's going to be out there with at least a couple stars at all times. And I think he's going to be a guy that, that's going to get a lot of touches. So, no, I do not think that Nick Young is going to have some kind of a, you know, a, a come-to-Jesus moment and, and see the light entirely. But 
I think he's going to be a guy that is going to make a lot of threes and score some points for the Warriors off the bench, which is why, you know, in addition to a lot of the players on the team wanting him to show up there is why he's on the team. How many wins will Coach Budenholzer be responsible for on this god-awful Hawks team? That's a great question. I've had some people uh, say to me they think they can the Hawks can win 30 or more games uh, with Budenholzer coaching the team. I cannot see that, personally. I think this Hawks team is going to be very bad. Um, but look, they beat Dallas uh, on Wednesday in their opener. This is a team where you know Dennis Schroeder is going to put up huge numbers, I think. Dwayne Dedman will put up numbers at center. Uh, you know, and look, they might they might be able to you know squeak out thirty to thirty five wins in, a, in an East where there just are a lot of really bad teams. Uh, personally, though, my guess is they probably win around twenty five, even with Budenholzer. I just don't. They just don't have much talent, uh, and and I could even see them uh, trading guys like Deadman or um, you know or, or some any or Marco Bellinelli, any of these guys that could get anything for as the season goes on, uh, just to try to you know even maybe make the job of Budenholzer that much di- more difficult. Um, and to get whatever assets they can can for these guys, uh, they can as the year goes on. So, uh, no, I, I don't, I don't see, uh, I don't see Budenholzer magically leading the Hawks to 35 or 40 wins or, or may, getting them anywhere near the playoffs or anything, but, um, you know, we'll see. He's a very good coach and, and a lot of people around the league think that they're going to be, uh, better than people think just because of him. So, uh, it's going to be, going to be very, very interesting to see, uh, if he can, if he can live up to that. I also just want to take a minute here at the end before I wrap up to talk about the Lonzo Ball situation with the Lakers. Uh, I think, you know, what you're going to see over the next few weeks is, you know, wherever Lonzo goes anywhere, and really over the course of this entire season, Lonzo's got a huge target on his back. You saw that last night. I think Patrick Beverly, you know, in addition to being one of the best defensive players in the league, he's a really bright guy. And I think, you know, the way he talked after the game, I think it was a good indication of where uh, everything is at with with uh with Lonzo I mean he said look you know this guy because of the stuff his dad has said is gonna have a huge target on his back and you know I told him that after the game and, and he's right look I mean uh, I LeVar Ball God bless him he's a businessman he can do what he wants uh and and his kids are you know at least I've, I've been around the other two kids but I've spent some time around Lonzo he's a really polite kid he does his does his job he doesn't talk back to anybody he doesn't uh, have any airs about him? His teammates at every level, from every any anybody I've ever talked to, have have really liked him. Like playing with him, he's clearly a fun guy to play with. Uh, he moves the ball, he shares the ball. Um, so so I don't think that uh, you can you can look at him and think he's some kind of a, an entitled guy that's uh, you know trying to be out for himself. But look, the bottom line is with the way his father has talked and the way he has uh, you know kind of taking shots at guys like Steph Curry and LeBron and uh, he's put Steph in the same category as those guys. Um, you know, it's gone, he's gone from being a rookie that's 19 that was going to have a chance to kind of learn on the job to a guy that's going to have a huge target on him every day. And I think the Lakers have contributed to this too. I mean, the Lakers have gone out of their way to talk about how good Lonzo can be. Uh, you know, they're obviously in the hunt for LeBron James. People are talking about how he can help be a recruiter for LeBron James if he plays well. I mean, all this stuff is just stuff that doesn't normally happen to a 19-year-old kid. Now, part of this is because he plays for the Lakers, and they've been they've had their worst four years in a row in franchise history. Their four worst years since coming to LA. This is a team that's desperate to start turning things around. Uh, so I think a lot of that's been projected onto Lonzo as the savior of everything. But I think what we saw on Thursday night against the Clippers is that here's a guy that's going to take a while to get adjusted to the NBA. It's going to take a while for people or for his game to evolve, for his body to uh, get accustomed to the league, to get stronger, uh, to be able to have more explosion, to physically get by people. 
Uh, Nate Duncan, I thought, made a really good point in his podcast. There was one point on the wing when he got isolated with Austin Rivers and couldn't get by him. Um, you know, stuff like that, Lonzo's going to have to improve on. So um, it, I just think the way things have played out for him, he's gone from a guy who should have time to develop and be a young guy that people are excited to see to a guy that's become very divisive without him really having anything to do with it and um, has a lot of people root for him to fail. So, you know, he, he seems like a really strong kid mentally. I'm sure he'll be fine in the long run. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not exactly worried about any of that. But, you know, I, I do think it is going to be a very interesting situation uh, to see how this whole thing plays out and to see how he handles uh, what is inevitably going to be a lot of nights like last night where a really bad Lakers team uh, which is the the kind of the under talked about thing, and maybe maybe that was the I took a circle back. Maybe that was the uh, most uh, underrated uh, most underrated takeaway from the first few days of the season is that uh, the Lakers I think are going to be as horrendous as I expected. They're going to be really really bad. Uh, you know, Brandon Ingram had a rough game. We'll see if Brandon Ingram is going to be a good player, but that's a tough. You know, if he's not if he doesn't take a big step forward this year, that's tough for them. And Alonzo looks like he is going to have, you know, he's going to have struggles. There's a ton of good point guards in the league. They're all going to be coming after him. So uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to see uh, how everything shakes out in L.A., how Alonzo handles losing, how he handles uh, the criticism that's going to come his way, how he's going to handle being having a target on his back and having a lot of guys like Pat Beverly trying to, to take him on night after night after night. I mean, he's getting a baptism by fire, and it's going to be fascinating to see how it goes. So, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, he's a – he, he, like I said, he, I think he's a pretty strong kid mentally. I think he's got a good head on his shoulders. I think he uh, understands what he's getting himself into, and I think he's going to be fine. Uh, but it, and, I, and I think I'm a big fan of his game. I think he's going to be a really good player. But in the short term, I do think it's going to be pretty, uh, pretty difficult for him, and it'll be really interesting to see how he handles it all. Uh, but with that said, we'll come to the end of this. Gotten, uh, got no more questions on the, on the Twitter machine. So thank you to everybody on Twitter who submitted a question. I appreciate it. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. You can follow me on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA. Uh, you can follow my work in the pages of the Washington Post or on our website at washingtonpost.com slash sports. Uh, please go find the podcast wherever you can subscribe to it. Uh, you can get it on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on TuneIn, on Radio Public, and on iHeartRadio. Uh, go wherever you can find it. If you can give us a five-star rating and review, it really helps. Helps the podcast out a lot. So thanks in advance for that. Go find our other podcasts, Can You Do That, Constitutional, uh, The Fantasy Football Beat. Got a bunch of other ones. Uh, we've got one on the, the Ken Burns Vietnam series, which is great. Um, it's a lot of, lot of great podcasts on our website. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash podcast. Look up those. Uh, thank you to Glenn Yoder in the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. Glenn is my editor, uh, the NBA editor at the Washington Post. Uh, loves basketball, huge Mavs fan. Uh, they've got a really good band. I've seen them in person, fun group to listen to. I've got a lot of compliments for them for their music on the site. So that's uh, you know that's been that's been cool to hear too. So uh, so be sure to go check them out. Thank you uh, again to everyone for submitting questions today, and thank you for listening. Um, we'll be back next week, a couple more podcasts. We get into the swing of the NBA season finally. It's nice that it's here. I'm excited for this game tonight. It was fun to catch uh, the Pistons on Wednesday and the Hornets. Fun to see uh, Celtics-Cavs, obviously, other than the, the tragic injury for Gordon Hayward. But uh, excited for this Bucks cavs game tonight. Excited to get back uh, back to the Bay Area for some games next week, and we'll talk to you all then.